10 years going to Africa. I didn't know if I'd ever be able to worship in America like I could in Africa. But the last month, thank you, brother. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7 as I try to get myself together. story it's told. It's a true life story. This lady had never had surgery before and she was nervous about it. And the anesthesiologist came in to check her out and he was trying to reassure her. He said, oh, it's just, you know, a simple non-invasive procedure. He said, heck, you got a better chance of dying from the anesthesia than the surgery itself. <laughs> Another gentleman said that his wife, who was a phlebotomist at a Denver VA hospital, went into the patient's room to draw blood on him. Noticed an apple on the nightstand trying to make small talk. She said, one apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? He said, that's true because I ain't seen one in three days. <laughs> the moral of those two jokes is that a bad bedside manner is better than no bedside manner. But you know what we really all desire in a physician? is a wonderful bedside manner, amen? You know, Jesus had the best. Our passage this morning is near and dear to my heart. If I'm not mistaken, it's one of the first messages that I ever preached for Brother Charles Timberlake. So Marty and Amy and Noah and Evan are in a unique position to see if my preaching has gotten any better. It's still just as sorry as it was years ago. It's a passage that really has been near and dear to the hearts of millions of Christians over the last 2,000 years. Dr. Barclay calls it the loveliest story in all the Gospels. It's a story only Luke records, that probably maybe only the heart of a physician could record about the heart of the physician, the great physician, Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, amazing, heart-rending pic of the wonderful, compassionate bedside manner of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's literally attending the bedside of an only son being carried out for burial. And he looks into the eyes of a weeping, heartbroken widow. And we still today, 2,000 years later, can feel her pain in Jesus' heart. He's the true definition of compassion. What a name! He has. Because He truly is compassion in action. Because you know what? Long and short of it is, your pastor is a human. And there's days your pastor's compassion button is broke past broke. And when it's broke past broke, know this. You can always go to Jesus and His ain't. Amen. Praise the One who broke the darkness. Oh, what a Savior we serve this morning. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Luke writes, Soon afterward he, Jesus, went to a town called Man, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, Arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. 
Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The word of God to the people of God, preaching the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Father, we're sorry for what we have made worship. We're sorry for what we have made church, and we have made Christianity, and we have sometimes made your son. Forgive us in the ways that we have failed you and transgressed you in that, Father. Father, thank you for this beautiful picture that we have today of your son's wonderful compassion as he literally attends the bedside of a dead man. I pray that, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will speak through me, and then, Father, you will, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open the minds, ears, and hearts of each person that is here today to receive the truth that you have appointed for them to receive today from the very foundation of the world. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So three points. The first point is the collision outside the city. The collision outside the city. Look with me at verses 11 to 12. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nan and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So Luke begins this paracope by telling us of a great head-on collision that occurs outside the city of Nan. On that day, two crowds met. One is headed for the city and one is headed for the cemetery. Two only sons met. One was alive and destined to die, and one was dead but destined to live. Two sufferers met. Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and a weeping, heartbroken widow also acquainted with grief. And really two enemies met. Jesus, the way of life, faces death, the last enemy, head on. So what's going to be the outcome of this head-on collision outside the city? So I want us to look at the two crowds. The first crowd is Jesus, his disciples, and a great crowd. And that's what Luke says here in verse 11, a great crowd. Think about this. Who all would be in the crowd? Well, Jesus, his disciples, the curious, maybe those who just want something. They're looking for the next fish po' boy sandwich. Maybe people who are serious. They've got questions about God and about who Jesus is. And for sure you know that the religious leaders are there, right? Because they are following his every step. And so Luke tells us they're on their way to a city called Nan. It's the only mention in the Bible of this city. It's located at the modern Nen, N-E-I-N. About 200 people live there. It's on the edge of Galilee and Samaria. It's six miles southeast of Nazareth and 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. So it's about a day's journey from Capernaum. It lay on the north slope of Little Hermon in the valley of Jezreel. And when you say, well, who cares? Why are you telling me this? Because you need to get into the mindset of the people and know that on the south slope of that mountain is Shunem, where Elisha raised the Shunammite son. So in this very area is where one of only a few resurrections had ever taken place. And there were only three that had occurred in the Old Testament, and one was here. And so Luke goes on to write the timing of this entourage. Look at it. He says there, soon afterward. 
Some manuscripts have the next day. Well, the next day after what? After he healed the centurion's servant in Capernaum. And so given it's a day's journey away, the timing of this is that Jesus in this great crowd would have drew near to the gate of man right about dusk, and that was the time of Jewish funerals. And you talk about God's providence. Well, this was just chance that they met there, wasn't it? This was just fate. I even know Christians who honestly believe this was just karma, that this just so happened. No, this is providence. This is God's sovereignty jumping out on the page at us. I saw something that said God has perfect time and never early, never late. It takes a little patience and a whole lot of faith, but it's worth the wait. A lot of us that could learn from that. We could preach on that the rest of the time, including myself. Amen. And so speaking of timing, this is a popular time in Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's a threefold ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing. And he's going town to town doing this and uh, declaring the good news of the kingdom and healing folks left and right. And so uh, Keith and I were talking uh, this morning. Maybe you're you know, shocked too. Uh, great crowds, maybe you never had seen that, that great crowds are following Jesus. And at this time in his ministry, he's very popular. He's healing folks. I mean, think about it. You got an incurable disease? Jesus can heal it. You hungry? Jesus is handing out uh, fish po'boy sandwiches. And so he's very popular at this time, but then what happens? He starts breaking out the what? Eat my flesh and drink my blood speeches. And you read in John, who is more of a chronological gospel, in John 6.66, when he breaks out that sermon, it says, and many of his disciples stopped following him after that. As long as Jesus is doing something for us, and as long as it's all nice and, and rainbows and skittles and everything's going great, we're all Team Jesus, man. Yeah, I'm Team Jesus. Got the jersey on. Good to roll. I'm in the game, son. And as soon as that first hit comes on the football field on Friday night and it knocks your helmet off of you and you think, is this what the Christian life is like? Then a lot of folks turn away. You know that's where we're at today, brothers and sisters. It says in the last days that there will be a great falling away. That's what Jesus said. Statistics say, well, we're now down from four out of five people in America being Christian to three out of five in America being Christian. We're getting less Christian. No, the one in five was a faker. And before it's all done with, it may be down to one in a hundred. So we need to count the costs as Jesus Say, well, why is he healing folks? Well, he's helping needy people. Dr. MacArthur said compassion colored everything he did. So he's helping needy people. Two, it's a witness to the disciples to mature them to the crowd for saving faith. And then the religious leaders uh, who are following him and watching him like hawks. And then it demonstrates his messiahship. Look at verse 20 and 22 in chapter 7. We'll get to this next week. But when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist is sent to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the Messiah? So look at how Jesus answered him. Go and tell him what? What you've seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And so part of the, the healing was to demonstrate his Messiahship. I mean, truth be told, if we were alive in Galilee during this time, we would have wanted to be in this crowd right here with Jesus. 
listening to everything he's doing, seeing what's going to happen next because he's speaking the words of life. He's speaking uh, liberty to those who are captive under many different things. And so imagine this picture. Jesus is leading the way. Except there's one or two stray kids up running ahead. Hashtag Africa, I put in my notes. You know that? Well, no matter where we are, there's a couple of kids always running ahead of us, isn't it? And they're going, hey, the, the, the how are you's are coming. The how are you's are coming. I imagine the kids running ahead. Hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then think about the folks that would have been in the crowd. You'd have been trying to nudge your way up there and straining your ear. What's Jesus talking about? What did the disciples just ask Him? How did He respond to them? And you're thinking, man, what's going to happen today? I mean, the centurion's servant got healed yesterday. What's going to happen today? I can't wait. I mean, he's handing out fish po' boy sandwiches. I mean, what's he going to do today? Is it going to be a full buffet? I mean, what is going on? What's going to happen? Great anticipation. I mean, think about how far behind him the crowd would have possibly stretched. Maybe miles, I don't know. And so can you imagine the noise? We were joking this weekend about Africa and the noise. But y'all know the African women? That's how they do when they're excited. And I can just imagine everybody, it's just this massive, joyful noise of a crowd coming down the road to Nain. And they're about to have a head-on collision with another crowd that's equally noisy but for the exact opposite reason. So the second crowd is a widow, her only son, who's dead in a considerable crowd. Look here at verse 12. He drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow in a considerable crowd from the town was with her. The word Nan means beauty, but there was no beauty in Nan that day because death had invaded the town. We're first introduced to a man, not just any man, but one who had died and was being carried out. How old is he? I don't know. According to the language here we're going to look at in just a minute, he's probably under 40. Can you imagine the shattered dreams? Did he have a wife? Did he ever even get to have a child and hold it and know that joy? Did he even get to tell his mom bye? And so Luke follows with six heart-rending words. Look at what it says. The only son of his mother. One commentator said, all the age of sorrow of the world is in that one simple sentence. Is there more of a greater agony that could be in this life than a parent to lose a child? One gentleman, Joe Bailey, he wrote this about the death of a child. He said, of all deaths, that of a child is most unnatural and hardest to bear. In Carl Jung's words, it is a period placed before the end of the sentence, sometimes when the sentence has hardly begun. We expect the old to die. The separation is always difficult, but it comes as no surprise. But the child, the youth, life lies ahead with its beauty, its wonder, its potential. Death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. The suffering that usually precedes death is another reason childhood death is so hard for parents to bear. Children were made for fun and laughter for sunshine, not for pain. And they have a child's heightened consciousness rather than the ability to cope with suffering that comes with maturity. They also lack the kind amnesia of senility. 
in a way that is different from any other human relationship. A child is bone of his parents' bone, flesh of their flesh. When a child dies, part of the parents is buried. He said, I met a man who was in his 70s. During our first 10 minutes together, he brought the faded photograph of a child out of his wallet, his child who had died almost 50 years before. That's the emotional context that's occurring that we don't gather when we don't slow down. The great enemy, brothers and sisters, of us in the Christian life is busyness. When we just get and say, I'm going to get a five-minute devotion in because that's all that I can give the Lord today and I'm going to read this for five minutes and then you don't take anything out of it that you need to take out of it because you don't actually get in the story and understand the emotional context. Do you know what it was like as this woman is carrying out her only son and she's already widowed? I don't know the pain of losing a child, but I spoke to a man this week, witness to him. And he's 60 years old and still tore up and struggling with his relationship with God because it was a minute and a half. A minute and a half before he got into the hospital door. If he'd have been there a minute and a half earlier, he said, I could have held my son for the last time and kissed him. But I didn't make it. I get a little bit of it. I mean, brothers and sisters, death has been wrecking havoc in this world ever since the fall. And it's going to continue to till Jesus comes back. You know, Jimmy, you're on the scene a lot of times before I am at an ME scene. It's not pretty. Forget some of the things that you just can't unsee, amen? But some of the things you can't unfeel. When you're trying to tell a 14-year-old kid that found his dad that shot himself to try and get over the horrors of that, but then to immediately start to try and minister him about the emotional aspect of that, that, son, you are not responsible for this. Every day we see the grips of death. And so Luke just keeps adding, look, a widow. I mean, death is once again visiting her family and just tearing it to pieces. You see, you and I don't understand it because economically we have government assistance of all kinds. Back in that day, there's no food stamps, there's no SSI, there's no Medicare, there's no pension. And not just that, no jobs for a widow. And if you ain't got kids, you're not going to be able to farm. I mean, you're just left to the niceness of people that will give you some money or give you some food. And so think about emotionally. I spoke with a lady two weeks ago. She lost her husband last year. And she told me this. She said, you know, I hate to even turn the television off at night. And the very first thing she does when she gets up in the morning is she turns the television on. You know why? Because she's so overwhelmingly lonely. This widow didn't have TV. Who knows if she even had a book to read or a scroll. Didn't have no radio. She couldn't listen to Jimmy. I mean, think about it. That would be enough to make you go crazy. You've lost your husband, you've lost your son, and now you have nothing. You come home every day and you know what it is? Crickets. 
At least for now, there's a considerable crowd with her, but what about in the days to come? And so the context of Jewish funerals is that you would have professional mourners. You would have flutists and cymbalists that would accompany it. One commentator said even the poorest in Israel should hire not less than two flutes and one well-in woman. And so it would involve the entire community and the woman would have been out front leading the procession. Any good Jew would have been expected to join this. And so you see this considerable crowd with her. But it's one that's welling. It's one that's acquainted with grief and sorrow and they're colliding with another crowd. And so before we go on to the next point in application, do you know, brothers and sisters, we live in a world of broken hearts? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now here's what most of us do. I'm guilty of it as well. All of us are, I guarantee you. you. God puts into your path some way that He has put there by divine appointment for you to show some love and compassion to that person that day. And you might be the only person to do so for the next month. And here you come, it's a head-on collision, and you know what we do? And we go right on past them. Or we're all guilty of this. Think of this. I mean, because we got to get out of church on time every Sunday. Because we got to beat the Methodists to the restaurant. We can't have our ham burn. And you know, uh, we're just not used to a pastor who preaches this long. We're not used to a church that wants to hang out this long together. And so here's what we do. We're head-on collision with each other. And what we do is we go, Jimmy, how you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Can't complain. You know how many times I have said that? And a lying rascal I am. When somebody has asked me how I'm doing, and I say I can't complain, and I'm sitting there thinking in my head, you lying rascal. And so what we really do, whether we're meaning to do it by omission, by commission, or just doing it by omission, we step to the side. We don't grab that person. We don't grab Jimmy, and we don't grab him up and bring him in and hug him and say, now brother, I know you want to tell me everything's going okay, but I know it ain't. What's going on? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Why? Why does God comfort us? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We have been comforted so we can then turn around and be comforters. There's a hymn in the red hymnal book that we don't have that says, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart. Man, that would be a good prayer for a lot of us, wouldn't it, Brother David? Lord, lay some soul upon my heart this week and let me show compassion to them. Alright, so let's look next. That's the collision outside the city, the compassion of the Christ. So I've already said this is the loveliest story in all the Gospels and I don't think we see Jesus' heart anywhere better than right here in this. So three things we're going to look at. First, Jesus' heart. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Notice first, the first thing that's said there, The Lord saw her. Do you know this? I found this. I learned something this week. Do you know that 
uh, Luke is the only synoptic writer to use Kyrios, which is the word Lord, before Jesus is ever resurrected? You know why? Because He's Lord, period. You don't make Him Lord, and it didn't just happen because of His resurrection. He's Lord, period, because He is God Creator. And so look there at those beautiful words. And the Lord, don't miss it, saw her. I'm staring at some of you right now. That's what happened. The Lord saw her. He saw her. And I wonder when He saw her, what He saw. I guarantee you, I know a few things He might have saw. An aunt. A cousin. He may even have seen his very own mother. Because we think at this point that Joseph is probably dead. And so Mary's probably a widow herself. But turn to John chapter 19 because I think when he saw her, he had a flash not back, but a flash forward. When he sees this widow that is heartbroken because don't miss the only son. What is Jesus? The only son of his mother. Turn to John 19. I believe it's 19. Yeah, John 19, 26 and 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, this is Jesus hanging on the cross. Did you catch it? When Jesus saw, he looked down, probably barely even able to breathe. Splinters sticking in his back that was already tore to pieces for you and for me. And he looks down and he saw his mother and she locked eyes with him. And he locked eyes with her. And he said, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to her own home. I might be wrong, but I think in that very moment, when Jesus saw that woman, he flashed ahead to his own mother and thought of the heartbreak that she would suffer because her son was dying for the sins of the world. Yes, but we ain't Catholics in here. He was dying for her sins too. Her own sin, she got to see it. You and I feel it. That my own sin hung him to the cross. But she felt it in her bones and saw it before her eyes that her own sin had him hung to that cross and he wasn't going to get down. Oh, aren't you thankful? Do you remember the day that the Lord saw you? Some of you in here have been playing around, playing church and playing this and playing that. No, the Lord has seen you. He has been chasing after you. We talked about that this weekend. Praise God He saved this stupid old boy from himself for 29 years because I ought to be dead in a ditch somewhere. I ought to be in a jailhouse somewhere, somebody's girlfriend. But thank the Lord God supernaturally protected me from my own stupidity. And then He chased after me 
I wasn't looking for him down on 167 Lee Street. He busted into my bedroom and boom, just like we're going to see in a minute, he didn't just make me a good person. He made a dead man alive. Some of you need to get saved. The Lord's looking at you. It's time for you to come home to Him. Look next. He had compassion on her. That's a Greek word that means the bowels. We think, well, that is really bizarre. Why would you feel compassion in your bowels? Well, because that was the deepest place of emotion. It's the greatest word you could use in the Greek language to sympathize or uh, signify sympathy. Think of it this way. Have you ever gotten news about something and it literally felt like you got punched in the gut? That's what he is saying here. Jesus saw this woman and he's literally punched in the gut. Praise God, he has compassion. I think he felt her past, he felt her present, and he felt her future. Look at John eleven thirty three quickly. This is Mary. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That word deeply moved is that of a horse snorting. Literally, Jesus' breath when he saw her, not only was he hit in the gut, but the breath went out of him. He sees her and it's like hitting the gut. Have you ever seen somebody so emotional because something happened that that's what they were? They literally, the breath was knocked out of them. And he sees her and he, one person said he just convulsed with compassion. You know, the ancient world, this must have really been staggering because the noblest faith in antiquity was Stoicism. Listen to what the Stoics believed. They believed the primary characteristic of God was apathy, incapability of feeling. So here was their argument. If somebody can make another person sad or sorry, glad or joyful, then he can influence that other person. And if he can do that, he's greater than the other person. No one can be greater than God. Therefore, no one can influence God. Therefore, God must be incapable of feeling. Which, praise the Lord, what we see in the Gospels is a God that is well acquainted with every pain and hurt and suffering you have ever known and will ever know in your life. Amen? One song says, In every pain that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. Praise God he's got a heart big enough for everything that we go through. But you know what we see a lot of times with pastors? I'm going to throw us under the bus. A lot of times what you see with pastors is the exact opposite. And you can get offended. I don't really know these guys. I don't even listen to them because I just choose not to. But Robert Copeland and Jesse Duplantis one time said their verification for why they needed an airplane was this. Because if they were on the airplane, too many folks would stop them with prayer requests. And they, by quote, I will quote this to you, they said, we don't want to be on a tube with a bunch of demons. Dr. Easley well taught me that you will never and should never trust a pastor that don't smell like sheep. 
And you know what there ain't in? The Big Hatchy Baptist Association annual church profile that we're going to have to painfully fill out here in a little bit. Because it takes days and weeks. You know what there ain't a column for? Compassion. Imagine when Jesus' annual church profile showed up to the home office in Jerusalem. Now Jesus, we're going to have to have a talk, sir. Three years running, no baptisms. Praise God that He showed compassion. Praise God that I don't know how many baptisms we'll have over the next ten years, but praise God that I know this, that there are families that are sitting in our midst this morning who have said that the reason that they are here and that God is moving in their life is not necessarily because of the words that come out of mine, but because of the hugs and the love that you have shown to them. And so remember, Galatians 6, 9, I... Thank you, brothers and sisters. Vicki and I were talking about that this weekend when we were away. That, you know, we have a church that we love and supports us, and I am so thankful for that. The Bible tells us, though, do not grow weary in doing good, brothers and sisters. Don't let off the gas, in other words. And then look at Jesus' words do not weep. You ever told somebody that? I know you probably told your kids if you don't stop this crying, but I don't mean in that way. You ever told somebody, seriously, don't cry? I mean, you know why we say that? Well, we don't know what else to say. You're right, you're right. <laughs> Ain't that true? I mean, why do we say, how are you? We don't know what else to say. Did you mean well? Yeah. Have you ever been told that in the middle of a crisis? Did it take away the hurt? But you see, Jesus don't just come and He don't say, dear daughter, don't weep comes and He comes alongside of you and He puts His arm around you and He kisses you and hugs you and He makes everything better. He's about to give this woman a reason to stop crying, all right, amen? And so look at His actions, verse 14 to 15. He came up and touched the bear and the bear stood still and He said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to His mother. So Jesus comes up and He touches the bear. You know that would have ceremonially defiled Him? But you know what he knew? He knew that mercy was required above sacrifice. I love what Dr. Bach says. He said this, Cleanliness is next to godliness except where compassion is required. And when I thought about that and went back through my notes, again, I put in here Africa. You know how many times I have had a kid that I can't tell you what was on their clothes and I don't want to know. And I can't tell you what was coming out of their nose and I don't want to know. Come and sit down on my knee. And I have no clue what's in that kid's hair or on that kid's head. And you know what I've done? Took that kid's head and kissed it. That might be the only time they ever really truly know the love of Jesus. Because cleanliness is next to godliness except where compassion is required. If I come back and I get something, oh well. There's antibiotics that hopefully will cure it. And if it don't, I'd rather die kissing a kid on the head for my Lord than to sit in a pew and be disobedient to Him. 
And so he comes up. Can you imagine this? He comes up and touches, and it's like... Brother David, I don't know if you've ever conducted an orchestra, but you know when, when he says, stop it, cut the music, it stops. Jesus didn't say cut the music, but he comes up and touches it. Cut the music. And they stood still. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Well, young man in Jewish society could be up to age 40. That depressed me when I read that. <laughs> By Jewish standards, I'm an old bogey. My wife's been telling me that for a while. Yeah. But think about it. Jesus says, I say to you, arise. That word phrase, I say to you, could be either funny or tragic depending on the outcome. But you know what? It wasn't funny or tragic because when Jesus says, I say to you, you can take it to the bank. And He says, arise. Well, how's He even hearing? He's dead. Because we don't die. We ain't Buddhists. This ain't a nihilism, brothers and sisters. When you die, you don't cease to exist. You still live on in spirit. And so, He hears. And one commentator said, Jesus in that moment claimed as His own what death had seized as His prey. Notice three things He says. He says, the dead man sat up. Now, I don't know about you. Jimmy, you ever seen anybody that was a dead man move? I ain't. I've been to a lot of ME scenes and I ain't seen nobody move that was dead. One guy said, and I told my wife this, I said, There's no, my funeral is going to be closed casket because there ain't nobody coming up to my casket and going, now don't he look so good? No, I'm dead. I don't look good. <laughs> and if any of y'all come up to my casket when I die and say, don't he look natural? I'm going to come back and haunt you. I look natural sitting in a tree stand with a gun shooting a deer. Amen? Can I get an amen, brothers? I don't look natural in a casket. And so one guy said, I don't want to hear no words when people come down to the casket other than this. Look, he's moving. He says, sit up. And he sits up. Can you imagine? He looks around blinks around, what's going on? The only time that this is used other than script, in, in Scripture other than here is in Acts 9.40. It's used of Tabithas. It's a rare verb. It's only used by doctors. Can you imagine the collective gas? This is the first resurrection in 500 years. The first of three Jesus will perform and then look next. It says He began to speak. You know the New Testament never records the words of those that were raised? Because you don't have to. All you know is they spoke. And what do you see? You speak, that means you have life, right? Dead man tell no tales, although you could argue with that, couldn't you, Billy? <laughs> but they sure don't speak, do they? And look at the next to me. This, I mean, this blows me away. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I mean, you talk about a Polaroid moment. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. Y'all ain't getting no preaching tonight. Y'all just getting ice cream. So y'all going to get as much of the Word as we can dole out this morning. You know, one of my favorite 
passages to preach at a sermon, I mean at a funeral, as the sermon. This. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, when I know that they're a believer. We don't want you to be uninformed, ignorant, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Dr. Hughes said this, he said, The voice that raised that poor babbling young man from his coffin will be trumpeted into the depths of the sea, into the roots of the mountain, into the diffuse dust and lost molecules of God's physical dead children, and all who know Christ will hear it. And young bodies of children that were lost too early will come up and fly together to see Jesus and fly into the arms of their parents. Can you imagine the day that this happens? and the great family reunion, and Tripp Turner gets to fly into the arms of his mom and daddy again. And that's the hope that we hold out that no matter what happens to Jackson Huey, that we know that one day that family will have a great reunion again with their child. Can you imagine? I mean, on resurrection morning, get up, Marty! It's resurrection morning. Get up, Cassie. Get up, Elaine. Get up, Jimmy. And boom, we're all together again with Jesus forever. Hallelujah, I ain't never got to go to work again. Hallelujah, I don't ever get another migraine. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah, I don't ever get the stomach virus again. Amen. Hallelujah, ain't nobody going to call my house and say your bill's past due. I ain't never going to have to worry about anything again. I ain't never going to have to worry about my stupid old self sinning again. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a glorious day that's going to be resurrection day. Because you ever thought about this? We talk about it all the time. Jesus is Lord of life. But how many times do we think about this? He's Lord of death too. He destroyed it. It has no power over us. We don't grieve as folks that have no hope. We grieve at those in Jesus Christ. And we know there's going to be a massive family reunion one day. Hallelujah. God made the bad Pentecostal come out. Finally, the commentary from the crowd. I mean, you don't see stuff like this and then just sit by, you know, ho-hum going, well, that was pretty interesting. (laughs) I mean, there's some reaction. And so look at the reaction. Fear sees them all. This is typical. When you're in the presence of God, fear grips you. Second, we're told they glorified God. You know that's the chief end of all of us that are Christians? is to glorify God. You know, people say, well, I don't know why God put me on this planet. Let me tell you, He put you here to glorify Him. If you don't get anything else right on the final exam, that's it. He put you here to glorify Him. And so that's the reaction. Look at the response. They say, a great prophet has risen amongst us and God has visited 
His people. Now before we go saying, man, these people just don't get it. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, they're struggling with who Jesus is the same that we are. Look at Luke 9. We'll get there eventually. Jesus came to the disciples and He says, Who do the crowd say I am? In chapter 9, verse 18 to 20. They said, John the Baptist, some Elijah, some one of the prophets. And He says, Here's the big question, but who do you say that I am? And so they're struggling with it. And they say, well, he's a prophet. But I also wonder at the same time, have you not read? There were only three resurrections in the Old Old Testament. And if you'd have been well schooled in those, think of the differences. When Elijah resurrected one, in 1 Kings 17.21, it says he stretched over him three times. Jesus spoke. And then, when He resurrects Him, there's no response. This dead man spoke and moved around. And then when Elisha did it, he touched him with the staff, laid on him and stretched over him. Jesus spoke. And then when He gets up, He sneezed seven times and that's it. This man spoke. He ain't a prophet. He is the prophet. And it ain't God has visited His people. This is not a confession of faith. They're just saying God has come to help us. The answer is Jesus is God. And so who do you say that I am? If anybody comes and asks Buffy Cook, who do you say that Jesus is? Is He a good man? Is He a great prophet? Is He a great teacher? No, He is God. Period. That's the, the response that they should have had. And so look at the report. The news about this goes all throughout Judea, all the surrounding county. And Luke has been climaxing towards this. And in Acts, he's going to tell us then how not only does the news about Jesus start to spread, it literally goes out to the ends of the earth, which is still being accomplished today. And praise God that we have Crossway that is a body of believers, a family of believers living and growing together in Christ that understands that we have a mandate not an option to check off or check not a mandate to take the gospel to the ends of the earth I mean a hundred bucks a month these guys are living on in Africa they live on thirty bucks a month you and I can't even begin to fathom that And so let's pour into the life of these guys. I mean, I know every one of us in here are potentially strapped for cash, but I know that everybody in here as a family can afford $65. And all it would take is 65 bucks each of us or family given for what, 24, 25 pastors to teach them. We're still mandated, brothers and sisters, to preach the gospel to every creature. Alright, in conclusion, talking about being old, I was depressed this past week because I thought of this fact that next May will be 20 years that I graduated medical school. I mean, I think Melissa was two years old and learning how to walk when I graduated medical school. You know, I still remember that day. Too numerous to count hours of blood 
sweat, tears, oh, and money finally came to fruition. You know one of my greatest memories from that day? It's actually right here beside me. It's a little old plaque. The Anthony S. Ficalore Award presented to Buffy J. Cook, M.D. It's the first time I'd ever had anything behind my name. In recognition of your outstanding commitment to patient care, this award was given to one person in the class who showed compassion to patients. Why did I tell you that? Because as I reflect on this passage, two things stand out to me and one that I think we lose sight of. Two things that stand out is Jesus' awesome compassion and His awesome power. And think of this, His awesome compassion. We said there are people around us hurting everywhere, brothers and sisters. There's folks so depressed, one single positive thought is just not even in the realm of possibilities. Here's the kicker. Jesus is gone. And you know what He did? He left us. He left us who have been comforted that we can then in turn be comforters. And you know what? You don't have to have an MD degree. You have to have the HS degree, the Holy Spirit living inside of you to show compassion to people. And then His power. You know us Baptists. I mean, that's why y'all can barely handle me up here. We're not used to getting loud and clapping and yeah. I mean, Brother David, you want some excitement. He wants to see that y'all actually are alive. He doesn't want to think that you're the guy on the coffin dead when he's up here singing to us. But what we do, we're what? The frozen chosen. And we're frozen in the realm of our worship. We're frozen in the whole realm of the supernatural. And what we don't realize is that all Jesus has to do is say, Get up! And it's going to happen. And the same power lives in us. Now that don't necessarily mean I'm going to go out to one of these ME scenes and Jimmy's going to come back and give you all a report that you know Buffy raised somebody from the dead last week. But it does remind us that you don't again have to have an MD degree. You just have to have the Holy Spirit degree. And that same power lives in us and I was reminded of it this week with one of our ex-neighbors. She said that they came into her room. She'd been having stomach pain. They told her in the emergency room the first time, you know, you got a urinary tract infection. Go home. Here's you some antibiotics. Still having problems. She goes back. They cat scan her. And they come in. This is literally what they told her. They said, Ma'am, you have a massive mass on your ovary and you have cancer. Now I'm praying in my bathroom Tuesday morning so I'm getting ready pray always I'm saying Lord let this thing be a cyst that all they have to do is go in and drain it stick a needle in it and it not be cancer and I ain't saying it's my prayer because she had a ton of people praying for her but I inboxed her and said girl we love you and we're praying for you and she said, go read my update. And I go to Facebook and read her update. And she said, the oncologist had just left and said, praise the Lord, no cancer. It was a cyst that needed drained. God slapped me upside the head just to remember the power of prayer, brothers and sisters. Sometimes we say, well, 
I can't do anything else. I guess I'll just be praying for you. No, that's the greatest thing you can do for anybody. But I wonder how many of us are practicing bad medicine. We're not showing compassion. We're not believing that that power is living in us. But brothers and sisters, one day soon and very soon, as I posted that song, Jesus is coming back and He ain't coming to hand out awards. He's coming to hand out crowns. Crowns because you displayed His awesome compassion and power for the world around us. And then He's going to put that crown, give that crown to you, and He's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And you're going to fall down if you ain't already down there on the ground. He's probably you're already going to be down there. He's going to have to pull you up to even give you the crown. Amen. And then you're going to lay the thing back at His nail-scarred feet and probably kiss Him. And he's going to have to say, get up, i got the next person in line. You're going to have to wait a little bit more. we got all eternity for this. Amen. <laughs> but let's be a kind of people that display the power of God that's living in us and the compassion that Christ had to the world around us that desperately needs it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for each person that's been here today, Father, and given up their time to come, Father, and to worship you. That's what we're here for. You're not here to hear me. Not here even to hear David or sing these songs. We're here to sing all this and hear all this and do all this to worship you and glorify you. And so I pray that your son was exalted today and I pray that you were worshipped and glorified today, Lord. And I pray that each and every one of us, including this old boy, will walk out this back door different than we came in it today because of what we've experienced through the love of brothers and sisters in Christ coming together and the worship that we have had together this morning. I ask all of this now in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. And so as we come to the time of invitation, I said it's the loveliest story in all the Gospels. It's not just lovely because Jesus raised the dead, this man, but it really is a clear picture of what you and I were before we were saved. Jesus comes to us when we're not looking for Him, doesn't He? He comes even when she didn't call Him. And He comes because... We don't deserve Him. He comes because He loves us out of pure grace. And when He comes, He completely changes us and makes us different. Brings us out of death into life, out of hopelessness into hope, out of uh, strife into peace to then display, as we talked about, the characteristics of the new life. And so let me ask you, have you ever been born again? Like I said, and like Jimmy mentioned last week, there's so many people in church playing church. Take yourself and give yourself a good self-examination. Come to the doctor, the great physician, and look at what he says is required of you. You can't attain that. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? He's setting up the impossibility for you and I to be good. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough stuff. All that it is is to come in grace and through faith to come to the cross and throw yourself at the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus and let His blood wash over you. Have you ever done that today? If you have not, come today. And I don't know, I'm telling you, I was almost half ready to, before we even got up here and I got to preach, just stop the service before and say, I know some of y'all based on that song that David sang, some of you just need to come down here and I know some of you are burdened because I'm burdened. And I know if I'm burdened as your pastor, you're burdened. And some of you need to come down here today, not just because it's a show, but because come down here and just dump some stuff on the altar. 
I don't know what you're dealing with, but God does. You call on His name and He can help you. Maybe He's calling you to come and be with this family of believers and to join with us in membership. Or maybe you have received Him, but you never followed through in believer's baptism. Or maybe you received Him a long time ago, but really now, it really has gotten hold of you. You really truly now can say you're saved. And so now you really want to come and you want to be baptized so you can really say to the world, that old person is now finally dead and I'm being raised to walk in newness of life. Whatever God is speaking to you this morning as we stand and sing, respond this morning. Oh, to Jesus, I